Well, today, of course, we celebrate the baptism of Jesus, really a profound mystery that I'd like to ponder with you for a few minutes, both so that we can remember what we have actually received in our own baptism, and so that we can be prepared to carry out the obligations that we have toward those who are being baptized today. We had a couple earlier in the morning, and I believe Hilton is going to be baptized at the 11 o'clock service. Well, baptism signifies several kind of complex interrelated actions that God does on our behalf. And like all sacraments, of course, there's an outward and visible part. Uh, the baby is going to get wet. And there will be oil made in the sign of the cross on the baby's forehead. But then there's also an inward spiritual dimension that we receive with the eyes of faith. And there are four of these things, and I'm going to name them for you. You're going to read them and pray them together, but I'll just name them for you. The spiritual things that are going to happen. This child will be adopted as a beloved member of God's family forever. They will be mystically joined with Christ. And in that way, their old sinful life, as Jesus went under those waters and kind of died a certain death, and of course died on the cross, the sinful nature of this child will die. And because they are united with Christ, a new, eternal, a life that's new and made for eternity will emerge. Which is very good news, because if we are eternal creatures and we just maintained our old yucky selves, eternity would be very, very long indeed. So it's good we are reborn to, with these new, new spirits. The sins of this child will be forgiven and they will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, looking at the babies that we baptized uh, earlier, I would have to say that if I was a parent and I beheld these angelic innocent creatures, I might be prone to say, um, don't you think, Marjorie, that these are kind of inappropriate gifts for these babies? I mean, they're perfectly lovely. How can they be sinners? Um, why do they need forgiveness? They can't even talk yet. Furthermore, why would a child need to be adopted into the family of God? I mean, aren't they image bearers? Aren't they already in the family of God? Why do they need to be adopted in? And finally, what difference does the Holy Spirit really make? Well, to begin to answer these questions, I want to share a story about a former colleague of mine. It happened in middle school. Well, there was a little group that had decided to play a trick on a classmate, and he was frequently teased, this particular classmate. But this time, the little group had decided to set up a sort of a trap that they thought would be funny in the bathroom. So my colleague got drawn in. He was supposed to get the unsuspecting boy into the bathroom, and he did. And then the little trick, with all its degrading intent, was accomplished. But afterward, the student, who was the target of the laughter, looked up confused at my friend, and he said, I didn't think you were one of them. Well, it was a formative moment for my colleague, a crisis, really, 
because deep inside, he did not think he was the sort of person who played cruel tricks. But he willingly had done just that. And of course, he'd gotten something out of it which he wasn't quite ready to give up. He'd cemented a kind of bond with the others involved. What was he to do? Well, most of us have memories of being quite young and knowing that we have done something bad and not just out of ignorance. The spiritual autobiographies of great saints usually include moments just like these. Augustine committed an act of vandalism in an orchard. Just out of boredom and for the sake of entertainment, he went into this orchard and he shook the branches and the fruit fell to the ground just to rot. He didn't even feel like eating it. And then, of course, the abolitionist John Woolman, saintly, wonderful man, uh, as a boy, just for sport, he shot a mother robin with his slingshot, leaving her little chicks to starve. Well, these events rung like a bell, reverberating deep into the souls of these young people and disturbed their sleeping consciences, maybe even their sleeping spirit. At a young age, we are often confronted with this dissonance between who we think we are and what we actually do. You can probably think of such a time in your life. I can certainly think of several in mine. And these moments can serve as opportunities to seek the Lord if we do not ignore them, and if there are people around us who will guide us to do just that. You know, one of the things I said that uh, is going to happen to these this baby is they're going to be adopted into the family of God, and that we have certain obligations towards the baptized. And one of them is to be that person, that adult in their life, who when they really run astray, we can say, this is an opportunity for you to know the Lord. Well, back to my colleague standing outside the boys' bathroom in middle school. There were a couple of options open to him. He could have decided that what he had done was not really all that bad. He could shrug his shoulders and say to the boy, don't be so sensitive, it was just a joke. In short, he could try to convince himself that what he had done was not really wrong. It was not really in the language of the Bible a sin. Or he could face the fact that he had been cruel, that he was capable of that, and that he was, in the language of the Bible, a sinner. Someone who not only does stuff that hurts others, but deeply ruptures the relationship with God and his family. Now, if he had chosen option one, you wouldn't be hearing this story. My colleague realized that he had done something mean on purpose and that it meant something rather shocking about himself. He was a sinner and he was troubled by that. He needed forgiveness from the boy and from God and a way to have power not to get caught up in that sort of thing again. And that's how we come to today's lesson about baptism. Baptism at its core is about recognizing that we are sinners in need of forgiveness 
and redirection and empowerment to live a new life. Not just that we've inadvertently done some foolish things. Don't you love it in movies when a character has done something perfectly dreadful? Stolen from his partner, cheated on his wife, murdered the dog, and he comes out and it's the big moment and he says, I made a mistake. A mistake is watching your white cotton blouse with your husband's red sports shirt. Moral transgressions are more than mistakes. They are rooted in our character and they involve breaking relationship with others and with God. And when we have committed those sorts of deeds, the Bible tells us that addressing the damage involves repentance and forgiveness. Forgiveness from God, forgiveness from the other person, and ultimately actually even forgiveness of ourselves. And now we come to our gospel reading where John the Baptist came into Judea preaching a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. His ministry involved naming the bad things people needed to stop doing and the actions that would demonstrate contrition, baptism being one. He tells people they should not hoard wealth, but should distribute it. If you have two tunics, share. He instructs shoulders, soldiers who functioned as the civil policing force of the Roman army not to abuse their power by accusing innocent people, often Jews who had very little standing in the Roman Empire and no real recourse, accusing them and then extorting money from them so that they were not actually punished for the crimes that they didn't do. And of course, he called Herod out for having an adulterous relationship with his brother's wife. And we read that Herod locked John up for that in prison. And of course, eventually, Herod had John beheaded. He didn't want to hear that message anymore. This ministry of John's was a critical preparation for the coming of Jesus because without naming sin as sin, we don't even know that we need to confront it. We do not even realize what a death grip it really has on us. And that's one of the consequences of what theologians call the fall. Not only do humans start to disobey God, they actually forget what goodness looks like. There's this sort of fog. Now, I'm thinking of those of you who have brought in a beautiful baby, and you might be thinking to yourself about now, I don't think my baby needs the baptism of John. I mean, I don't think they could have sinned yet, really. Well, the good news is uh, that your children will not actually receive the baptism of John. You're going to be receiving the baptism of Jesus in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and that is a different baptism. More about that in a minute. But the bad news is that even your precious child will very soon learn to say no and will in all probability turn out to be a sinner in need of redemption just like all the rest of us at St. George's. 
But what about that different baptism? How is the baptism in the name of Jesus and the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, how is that different? Well, the baptism of Jesus not only signifies forgiveness of sins, it marks children as God's special family forever. And baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit gives believers power to live the Christian life. Baptism isn't just about forgiveness of stuff we've done and eternal life that we've promised because we've been saved. Baptism is about empowerment now through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Remember that reading that we had from Acts? Uh, there was a story about how uh, they knew that there had been some people baptized in Samaria, the disciples. There were some people baptized in Samaria, but uh, they, weren't, they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. So there's this little delegation that goes up to Samaria to lay hands on these people and pray that they receive the Holy Spirit. Well, it's interesting. I mean, they were, they were baptized into Jesus, but simply they had some Christian teaching. How did the disciples know that they hadn't received the Spirit? Well, I can tell you how. Because they weren't living like Christians. They're, they didn't have the power to live out the message that Jesus had brought them. They hadn't had the power of the Spirit, and that needed to be prayed for. Well, the fact of the matter is that we don't have a lot of teaching about this in mainline churches. We sort of shy away from it. And I think it's because we're a little afraid of the Holy Spirit. We're a little afraid of what the Spirit might actually do to us. But the fact is that the power of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life is the power to renew our minds, those minds that were damaged by the fall. You know, it's interesting, isn't it, that for 2,000 years, there were Christians who believed that slavery was fine. Some very fine Christians believed that slavery was fine. It took the power of the Holy Spirit to speak into those, to the church, to bring to light the truth of the New Testament, for people to eventually realize, no, this is not God's plan for his people. And the abolitionist movement was started. The Holy Spirit to change our minds. The Holy Spirit to convict us of sin. The Holy Spirit to heal us from sinful patterns that we get into. And, and haven't there been quite a few since COVID that we have fallen into? Sinful patterns that we need the power to get out of. The power of the Holy Spirit to order our emotions. You know, we get hurt, and then we act out of these disordered emotions. We're not whole people. We need the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. But, you know, I said that I think there isn't a lot of teaching about it because, because we're afraid of the power of the Holy Spirit. It seems anti-intellectual, and we, we prize our intelligence and our reason. And perhaps we think that the denominations that do teach about the Holy Spirit are sort of primitive or superstitious in their understanding. And we're above that somehow. But the thing is, you can't live 
the Christian life purely by reason and will. You can't live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I believe you can be saved. I believe you can be saved without a very intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. We'll see you in heaven. But I don't think you can live your life now in obedience to God without receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, being prayed for, praying for one another. But the good news is that Jesus has freely given believers his Holy Spirit. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you, and he will teach you all things. Today, as you come forward to receive, pray for those being baptized today. Pray that they be filled their whole lives long with the power of the Holy Spirit. And pray for yourself as well. Why? Because we're leaky vessels, and we need to be refilled with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can live in the love and grace that God has designed us to. Amen.